Good morning, everybody. Welcome uh, to those of you who are here. It's great to see your faces, uh, the top half and the bottom half <laughs> for many of us. Um, welcome to, to you at home who are uh, tuning in on Zoom. It's great to have you as well. And um, you're a valued part of our community. So we haven't forgotten you. So thanks for being with us. Um, we're starting to something new today. We are starting a new series uh, that's going to go throughout the summer. Um, and we're going to be in the what's called the Minor Gospels. It's a terrible name. Uh, they're really important people. Um, but we're, we're looking at the, uh, the minor prophets, or what they're referred to as the minor prophets of Israel. Uh, and we're calling this series, or the subtitle of it at least, is Good News from Overlooked Places. And that's, that's because these uh, 12 Jewish prophets are, are oftentimes overlooked and underappreciated. They get missed uh, as we uh, think about what God is like and we read through our Bibles. Um, it's easy to skip over this uh, section. But what we're going to discover as we dive into each of these, we're going to take probably a week on each. Um, some of the longer ones like Hosea, which we're starting today, it's going to take us two weeks. Um, but what we're going to find, I think, I hope, is that there is profound good news about what God is like that's contained in these places. Um, so we're going to be teaching through this. Uh, we also have a reading plan that we would encourage you to, uh, to read along with on the YouVersion Bible app. We've done this before and we're doing it again. Um, so I know many of you have signed on already, but look for that link on the Realm if you want to read along with us. And uh, it's, it's not accelerated at all. You'll be able to keep pace. You're basically reading one small book a week uh, in preparation for us teaching on that particular book on Sunday. So it's just to give you a little bit of background information. And there's also uh, Bible Project videos that go along with each of those. So it gives you the context so that you'll be up to speed. And I know many of you are. I can see it on your faces. You're ready to go uh, today. Uh, this morning, we're uh, starting out with the first of these prophets. It's a prophet named Hosea. And uh, Hosea was a prophet that lived in the northern kingdom of Israel just prior to uh, their conquest and their captivity uh, by a nation, a big, strong nation to the, north, to the north named Assyria, which happened in 722 B.C. for you uh, history nerds there. And the, the book of Hosea is a collection of Hosea's poems over the span of 25 years that lead up to that event. And what, what we find and what you found, I'm sure, as you've uh, read it this week, is that Israel is a nation in crisis. They have uh, broken off from their brothers and sisters in the southern part of the kingdom of Judah. They're two separate nations now. And while it looks like they're being faithful to their God, Yahweh, they're performing all of the necessary rituals and sacrifices to God. Uh, it's clear that their hearts are far from him. They're worshiping other gods. They're oppressing the poor. They're cutting deals with their neighbors for safety. And it's clear from Hosea that God is angry about this. He is really, really angry about this. Um, because they've been, and this is some imagery that Hosea uses, they've been like an unfaithful spouse or a runaway child. 
So what is God going to do with his people? That's the question of Hosea. How is God going to respond to their waywardness, to their unfaithfulness, to their brokenness? That's what we're going to read about. And so we're going to read the poem that happens in Hosea 11, uh, if you'd like to follow along. Um, there's 11 verses to, uh, to this poem, and it's going to show us what God's response is to his people. So it goes like this. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Ephraim's another name for Israel. Taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. And I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will, they, and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me, even though they call me God Most High. I will by no means exalt them. But how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. And I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Family, this is the good news that we proclaim this morning, that though in our search for safety and security, we often wound those that we should love. God and God's love wounds us to wake us up. And God's love wounded heals our woundedness. And so let's behold our wounded God this morning and receive his invitation to be welcomed home. I think I've uh, told this story before, but... Um, when I was a kid, I was bullied mercilessly. Uh, I was uh, in a, a, a great little neighborhood, but there were a lot of older boys in the neighborhood. And uh, I wanted to belong. Uh, I wanted to feel safe. I wanted to feel like I had the resources to protect myself, to sort of take care of business as a little guy uh, in that neighborhood, to, to, um, to level up to what I saw other people doing to join the in crowd. And uh, it, it never went well for me. 
was kind of always rejected and despised and taunted and made fun of. And I remember um, this one particular day, I think it was in middle school, I sort of got to the point where I decided I had had enough of this. And I wasn't going to take the bullying anymore. So I started uh, exercising, running. I asked for a weight bench for Christmas so I could bulk up. Um, because I had, made my, I had made up my mind, I was going to beat them at their own game. I was going to show the bullies who's boss. And the reason this strategy appealed to me uh, is because I felt weak. I felt unsafe and insecure. I was sick and tired of being pushed around and wanting to be stronger than those who were doing me wrong. I imagine it was a bit like what uh, Israel must have felt like at this point in their history. Um, because at this time, they're, they're sandwiched between uh, two much stronger nations. They have Egypt on the south and Assyria on the north. And, uh, and Israel starts to cut deals with each of them for protection, bribery money. Uh, and they, they end up paying huge sums to just keep the peace and to keep their autonomy. But Assyria has reneged on that deal, and they've started bullying Israel around. Uh, Assyria's king is uh, insulting Israel's king, and they're making threats of war. And Israel is scared spitless. They feel helpless and harassed. You might think that this would cause them to cry out to Yahweh. I mean, he's never failed them before, right? He was, in fact, the one who brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You remember those songs? But you'd be wrong. Outwardly, it seems like they're faithful. They continue to give lip service to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in addition to this God, they started to take on and to worship and to give their allegiance to other gods, what Hosea calls the Baals. Now, the Baals are uh, kind of a series of local deities. They're, in God's eyes, false gods. And, and these false gods are associated with things like fertility and war and storms. Think power and prosperity through violence. Can you see why these balls would have been so appealing to Israel in their time of need? It offered them a way to feel less scared and more secure. It gave them a path towards a hoped power and prosperity, equality with their neighbors, to be just like the bullies, a way to beat them back and to beat back their own insecurity at the same time. I mean, doesn't God want us to feel safe and secure? This is God's response in verse 6 and 7. A sword will flash in their cities, your cities, and it will devour the false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. 
In other words, his response is, the people that have been selling you this message of power through violence, they're wrong. They're off track. And I'm going to put their plans to an end. I'm going to stop that message because it's harming you. See, the the broader message of... um, The book of Hosea, you don't quite get it here, but you get it if you read the whole thing, is that God decides at some point that he is going to actually use Assyria, this bigger bullying nation, to wound Israel. To defeat them and to bring them into captivity. And the balls, they ain't going to save you. Friends, we proclaim the good news that though in our search for safety and security, we often wound those that we should love. That God wounds us, in fact, to wake us up. And that God's love is woundable. And in his woundedness, he heals us. And so let's behold our wounded God together this morning and receive his invitation to be welcomed home. This doesn't seem like a good plan, right? Why in the world would God use Assyria, this nation that's bent on political and military power, to humble Israel? I mean, was Israel's worship problem that bad? Isn't God being a little uh, overly jealous here? Aren't two gods better than one? (laughs) This is what Israel would have said. Well, it turns out that God cares about what and who we worship. He cares about who we give our allegiance to, who we build our dependency on. Because, and this is key, if you, if you forget everything this morning, remember this, that worship has creative power over us. Worship has creative power over us. Another way to say that is, you become like what you worship. Whatever you pledge your allegiance to is what you ultimately become. Whatever you behold is what you turn into. It has creative power over you. And so, like, if, if, if your chief god is money and acquisition, I mean, what happens to you? you end up seeing everything and everyone as a commodity to be used for your advantage. Because money is your chief end and you'll sacrifice everything to get it. Friends, if if nationalism is your chief God, then it causes you to break the world into us and them. Good guys, bad guys. We're always good. They're always bad. And the ends of our national prosperity justifies whatever means are necessary to gain and maintain power. I'm meddling. I'll stop. But in the case of the the balls, uh, the ball represents prosperity and power at all costs. And so what do you think Israel became like in worshiping this God? They become like the gods that they align themselves with. And that's exactly what happened. They become violent and oppressive to the weak and the marginalized. They take advantage of the poor. In other words, the bullied have become the bullies. 
Uh, by the way, this, this is the same for me, um, my, my little insecure middle school self, you know, I shared that story. Because not only did my, um, my attempts at overpowering the bullies not result in freedom from bullying, but I actually started to become the very thing I hated. I started bossing my sister around, who's five years younger than me. I became increasingly violent and depressed. I did poorly in school. I became even deeper in bondage to my insecurities. And I was hurting the people around me rather than loving them. Friends, this is, this is what happens when we act out of our insecurity. When we listen to the balls. Because when our, our safety and security feels threatened and it manifests itself in all kinds of different ways, whether it's depression or worry or anxiety or frustration or anger, it inevitably ends up wounding the people around us. We end up taking it out on our spouses and our friends and our kids and our parents and our coworkers. And we often do it blaming them for our woundedness. We think of them as the cause, the source of it, rather than the trigger of something much deeper that's going on in our soul. We often wound others because that seems safer to us than actually facing our woundedness. We afflict others because it makes our insecurity and frailty seem smaller by comparison. And this is what Israel was doing. And th this is why God cares so much about it. Because this wasn't God's plan for Israel. And friends, it's not God's plan for us. In Israel's case, God had put an end to this never-stopping search for security because he knew that their idolatry would have devastating consequences. And so he says in verse 4 and following, Israel was a child. I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called them, the more they ran away from me. And they sacrificed to the balls and they, they burned incense to other images. I was the one who taught them how to walk. I was the one who, who took them by the arm. But they didn't realize that I was the one who healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a child's face to his father's cheek. And I bent down to feed them. This is God going through Israel's baby book with them. For those of you who are younger, a baby book is like an old-timey shutterfly. But he's saying to them, I, I called you my son, and I taught you in my ways because I wanted you to look like me. I wanted you to be full of tenderness and mercy and kindness and healing. I wanted you to love as I've loved you. I wanted you to take up the family business of loving others. But they didn't do that. And so God, in his love for them, decides that the only way forward is to, is to wound those who are wounding themselves and others because of their woundedness. See, the, the reason that God wounds is not to reject them, it's to restore them. The reason that God wounds isn't to harm, it's to heal. 
The reason that God wounds isn't to write us off. It's to wake us up. Can I get an amen? God's saying, I took you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of those power-hungry pharaohs, to heal you and to nurture you so that you could nurture and feed others. The good news that we proclaim today is that though in our search for safety and security, we often wound those that we should love, that God's love wounds us to wake us up. And God's love, wounded by our woundedness, heals us. So let's behold our wounded God this morning and receive his invitation to be welcomed home. See, Hosea is a story of God wounding his people in order to wake them, wake them up, right? But it's also a story of a God who is woundable. And we get that sense out of God in verse 8 when he says, after all of this, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over? I'm, I'm God and not a man. I'm the Holy One among you. See, God asks himself a question. How can he give up his people that he loves so much? And the answer is he can't. And he doesn't. And, and what that tells us, there, there, and Hosea does this, there, there are two depictions of what God is like in the book of Hosea. One is as a husband and the other is as a father. And the point of both of those images is that God is woundable. Like, you can wound your parents, right? And many of us have, including myself. We can wound our spouses, because there's a level of intimacy there and trust and relationship that if we transgress that, we know that it's going to have an effect on the people that we transgress. And God say, I, I've put myself in the kind of relationship with you that if you were to transgress me, it wouldn't just break my laws, it would break my heart. I'm woundable. God's heart can and is broken by the ways that we abuse him and wound each other. And he doesn't send us away to figure it out on our own. And he, and he doesn't let us spiral out of control in a never-ending cycle of violence and retribution. But he's so committed to us that he takes our pain. He takes our sin. He takes our grieving and he takes our woundedness and he brings it into himself. And the, the clearest picture that we get of this, friends, is our God on a cross. We're told that the clearest picture of what God is like is him dying on a cross. And on the cross, we see a God who refuses to take power by force. We see a God who dies at the hands of insecure leaders to show just how powerless and fearful they are. We see a God who takes the very thing that we use to wound and kill each other and he takes it into himself and dies by it to destroy its power over us. So the question then is, how does beholding, how does worshiping, how does pledging our allegiance to this wounded God heal our insecurities? I think the answer is that it, it heals us because it's that God who's alive and reigning today. It's that God that's here among us this morning. 
It's, it heals us because it's that God who calls us to himself even now. And this, this, he gives a bit of a picture of this in verse 10. He says, they will follow the Lord and he will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. And they'll come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. And I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. This is, what, this is God's way of saying, yes, you're, you're going to be carried away into Assyria. You're going to be wounded and it's going to hurt. But the reason I'm doing it is because you're so wounded right now that the only way you know how to come at me is in your strength. But a day is coming. Friends, a day is here. When you'll be able to come to me, not in your strength, but in your weakness and in your frailties. Like trembling sparrows. And I will not turn you away. At the root of our, our brokenness, the reason for our insecurities is, is ultimately a distrust in God. It's the reason that we power up when we feel threatened rather than power down. <laughs> and, and it's not helped by the fact that we're trained by the balls of our society that tell us that this is the only way to protect ourselves. But friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, it is safe for you to befriend your fears. It's safe for you to look at them honestly with compassionate curiosity because we have a friend in Jesus who faces them with us, who does not turn us away. So as we re respond this morning, I want to ask you the question, where might God want to wake you up today? Where is fear and insecurity tempting you to turn your wounds into the wounding of others? Or are you tempted to project strength when the truth is you're scared spitless? Wherever that is, is the place where God wants to meet you this morning. Our wounded God is present and at work, and he's calling out to you. He'll roar like a lion if he has to, just to get your attention. Because he's committed to you and he loves us. The good news that we proclaim is that though in our search for safety and security, we often end up wounding those that we love. That God's love wounds us to wake us up from that endeavor. And God's love, wounded by our sin, heals our woundedness. So let's behold our wounded God this morning and receive his invitation to come home. Let's pray.